Well, good morning. It's good to be back up here. I usually feel like lately I've been doing a lot of announcing and stuff and haven't actually done any preaching for about six months, I think, so it's good to get back. Um, just wanted to get this one. We've been speaking on our series of Malachi on Unblemished. And uh, today we're going to continue on that. We'll get straight into it and read the, read the, um, the scripture to start with. So, in Malachi chapter 3, if you're following along in your Bibles, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how do we return? Will a more mortal rob God? Yet you, you ask, uh, yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? It sounds like a typical Jewish conversation, doesn't it? Ask a question with a question. Like an episode of Seinfeld. Uh, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Through the prophet Malachi, God begins by saying this, ever since the time of your forefathers, you almost hear a sigh in his voice when he says that, ever since then, you have been turning away from my decrees and have not kept them. The problem with turning away from God's decrees is nothing new. It had been going on a long time before this, and it goes on today. And we get a clear indication in this opening sentence sentence, that the actions that the Jewish nation have taken makes God feel something. Have you noticed that? Ask this question to yourself. Have you ever wondered, have you considered that God feels? God feels things. Have we realised that God, just like us, has emotions? We see his emotions turning up in Scripture from time to time, don't we? We see there's plenty of times when we see his love is evident. There is times when his mercy is clear. Sometimes we see his heart swell with pride. Remember when Jesus is there and he says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. You could argue that the emotion shows up most of the time in the Old Testament is anger. Anger that's justified. But right here in Malachi we see another emotion from God. And if I could put a name on it, I would say that God feels disrespected. Dishonoured. And we've learnt in our preaching from Malachi and other, other preachers before me, and 
we've learned that God feels disrespected in, their, in people's worship, in their worship, in their sacrifices. He feels disrespected in people's marriages. And now we see God is feeling disrespected when it comes to the offering of money and goods. Is that something that crosses their minds? If I'm honest, I have to say most of my faith journey is taken up with wanting God to minister to my emotions and needs. Waiting for God to step in and fix my problems and tell me he loves me and he he will look after me. And all that's true, by the way, he does that. But do we stop and think of a heavenly father that feels things? Do we stop and think the things I say, things I do, the way I act, could disappoint and be disrespectful to God, dishonourable to God? I want to show you my file. My file here. You know what a file is? Metal file? I tried to deliberately get a piece of scratchy metal to make it sound good on the microphone. See what? No, it's not going to work. Some, I want to get a, that sort of, you know, set your teeth on edge sound. Didn't work. This is a, a file. I wanted to do this little illustration in Timmy Key in Thailand for the kids. I didn't have a file, so I asked around the whole school, do you, do you have a file I could borrow for the... Yeah, it took a couple of days to find one. Someone had, could lend me a file, that's great, wouldn't it? And at the end of the week, it didn't actually happen. I didn't get a chance to do this little object lesson. But I did get a chance to nick it and take it home. <laughs> Freshly stolen from underprivileged children. I, I have contacted them and apologised many times, offered to pay for it, and they said, don't worry about it. Oh boy, I'm going to put it to good use today. In the latter part of the 19th century was a man in Canada born, born his name was Robert Latornu. You've heard that name? He was nicknamed God's businessman. Born in Canada, moved to the States. He was become a very wealthy guy at the end of his life. He, he invented a lot of what was our modern earth-moving machinery. A lot of things like scrapers and, and uh, you know, those sorts of road-building things. Uh, actually, 70% of all machinery used in World War II were from his factories. He became very wealthy. He is actually reported that he gave away, because of, his, because of his Christian faith, he gave away 90% of his income and lived on the 10%. You know, we talk about tithing. This is the inverse. He's living on, living on 10, 10%. He built universities, he did all these things, he gave to charities and churches. And but in his working career, when he started off, it was very differently, he was very poor. He got a job in an engineering firm as an apprentice in the early part of the 20th century. And um, one particular day, he was standing there, it was, it was five minutes to go on the day, and he was just, he had a piece of metal in the vice, like this. And he was just sort of running down the clock, waiting out the minutes, you know. I, I've, I've got employees too, I know what you get up to. <laughs> and he's just going, you know, I'm just making it look like I'm working. Just, right, what, five minutes to go, all right, keep going. That's what he was doing, using an inch of the file. 
What he didn't realise is that his boss was coming up from behind him. And in a time where you could have been sacked or anything, he said, uh, hey, Rob. And he was startled and he said, uh, the, the boss said to him, just, just casually, you know, I paid for all of that file. How about, I, I paid for the tip, I paid for the heel of it and I paid for the 12 inches in the middle. How about you use all of it? And uh, after his heart rate calmed down, he, he wrote, later wrote in his book that he said that was the best lesson he ever learned in his life because he'd been living his whole Christian life that, like that, not just in his job, but living his whole life just using a little bit of the file, a little bit of the gifts that God has given him, a little bit of the effort, and God's paid for the whole thing. He decided he would change and he would, he would realise that he served a much greater boss, his master, Jesus, who uh, shouldn't he be then just as productive for him? And this was exactly what was going on in the time of Malachi with the people in Malachi. People were using half the file, half-hearted, in everything, in their sacrifices, in their worship, in their giving, in their marriages, just, just using a little bit of the file. Just like Robert Latornu's employer, God looks at the effort presented by his people and feels, he feels disrespected. He paid for the whole file. Are we half-hearted in our in our efforts and our service to God. Maybe some of us are good at using some of the file most of the time. Maybe we do the, the worship bit well. Maybe we do the living sacrifice bit well, you know, our reasonable service. Perhaps we, we are good at using the file in our marriages. We're, we're good at that, we're bringing God into that. But maybe we get stuck on this last one. Get stuck on the giving of money. And in Malachi's time, it wasn't just about the giving of money, it was also the produce of your fields as well. It was, it was, a, it was a similar thing, it was the same thing, currency really. Things are bought and sold. Uh, I, I remember uh, I, some farmers would do this that would support missions. They would grow a sort of 20 steers and they'd say, well, that one's for missions, I'm going to donate that one. Now, it's a good idea, it's a good project to get together, but I actually, uh, I knew this one guy down here at home, and I, didn't, I never challenged him on it because I knew what the answer would be. But I, I said, well, you know, if, if you sell a steer for, to say, $1,200, there is a cost involved with that too. So you're actually given more than that $1,200. So I, I thought, why don't you just give the $1,200? Save yourself all the work. Oh, I can't do that. I keep money, but I can do that job. Yeah. Funny how we think, isn't it? But bringing the tithe into the storehouse in this time was sometimes called bringing your first fruits, the best of your crops and animals into the temple. There were, there were many sort of tithes and offerings in this time. There was a, a yearly tithe and offering. You would bring your produce to the temple and you would actually share it with the the Levites and you would eat with them and you would, it would sort of be a party. There, there was another, a three-yearly tithe you would bring. 
So it's, it's more than just this 10% idea we have in our head. It's, it's a very complex sort of system. Um, but like, like it says, like we read before, that we are to bring the tithe into the storehouse. The, the people were said were called to bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in God's house. That the Levites working as priests in God's house would have food to eat, would have something to function with. And they would also uh, distribute extra to uh, the orphan, the widow and the underprivileged. That's how it's supposed to work. Uh, I, I personally, I don't think we're bound to a, an Old Testament tithe. No more than we're bound to any Old Testament law. But neither did Jesus get rid of it. Came to fulfil the law, not, not to get rid of it. So, you see that the, the giving of money here was more than just uh, of giving money, it was giving of food. We mentioned first fruits, uh, which, is, which is difficult. You didn't just give God the leftovers, you gave him the first fruits. So, it's a bit of a faith step. You, you gave him the first bits of your harvest, not knowing how your harvest would finish up. You had to trust God with that. You had to trust God for your daily bread and nothing has changed today. Chris said last week, uh, he mentioned that this, this time in Malachi was probably a difficult financial time in the country. We saw, they saw other nations, nations prospering in this difficult financial time and they weren't. You know, that's tough, isn't it? You, you think God would wait for the economy to sort of kick up a bit and then ask for the cash? But no, that's not. he never works like that. He has always worked in a way that uh, to trust him with the little you have and he will take care of us. Indeed, this, this passage of God says to test him, to try him out, try me on. In, in no other place in Scripture are we supposed to do that. Jesus himself said we are not to put uh, the Lord our God to the test. But in, in this case, it seems God is ready to make an exception. Try me on, test me out. And his, his answer to that is, the blessing I'll return will be twofold. He talks about this uh, opening the floodgates of abundance and a promise, that sort of abundant promise. But the, the blessing is twofold. It's not just this abundant promise, of, uh, but there's also a kind of an insurance policy. An insurance policy that says, I will protect your crops. I will, I will prevent, prevent the devourer, is the word used, the devourer of your crops. What a wonderful financial promise in the time of financial hardship that even if in the midst of, we may not make a profit, but we're not going to get devoured. We'll always have enough. Giving to God's always been the same. It's, it's always going to be more to do with faith than it will ever have to do with money. And I think that's what the, the, the Jewish nation is doing here. Um, God says, return to me. How, they ask, how will we return? They said in, he said, in tithes and offerings. Makes me think that there is more than just money going on. 
that there's probably a worship of money going on here. There's probably an idolatry thing going on. And that might be the real problem. And God says, return to me is the same word as repent, to turn around, to go back to where you got off the rails in the first place and start again. Jesus said you will either worship God or money. You will be devoted to one and hate the other. And I think there may be a lot of loving of the money going on here in Malachi's time. Isn't it lucky that that doesn't happen today? God said, you are robbing me. Quite a confronting picture, isn't it? You can also, that word also could be mean deceiving or cheated. Have you ever been robbed? I have. It's not been a very pleasant experience. I was, it was back in the late 90s that we were living in town. I had opened up the carport, the back door. I had left the lights on everywhere. I was just about to shift the car into the shed when uh, this guy was about to win a lot of money on who wants to be a millionaire. So I sat on the edge of the couch and watched that. We were all in the, all in the lounge room watching. Next thing I see this figure come in my peripheral vision. In the, like that. He had come in the back, back door, through the carport, through the kitchen, and stolen Chris's handbag right off the table, right, right next to me. And I sat there and I thought, took me a couple of seconds to figure out what was going on before I yelled at him and took off after him and didn't get anywhere. Being robbed is far worse than just losing money. There is this sense of your personal space is being violated, this is lack of trust, you think it's going to happen again the next night. I think we lost about $100, but we don't remember that. Remember the time when our space was violated? He came into my home. And we come back to the same way that God is feeling at this moment. He's feeling disrespected. How dare this guy come into my house and scare the heck out of my kids? Makes me want to chase after him and throttle him. God probably wanted to throttle some of these people too. And he might have been justified for doing it, but he didn't. He, re- he showed them mercy. He said, return to me, robber, thief. Return to me and I'll return to you. So at this point in the sermon, I'm going to take my preacher hat off for a while. I'm going to put my eldership hat on. Is that okay? I'm doing it anyway. Um... I want, to, I want to bring this subject down to where it hits the road. It's fine to talk about money and stuff two and a half thousand years ago in Malachi's time, but where does it hit the road here, what, in the here and now? Our church is facing right now uh, some monetary challenges. We are not in dire straits, we're not going broke, so don't, don't panic, we have money in the bank. Uh, we have, however, been running a few years, uh, a year or two, on budget deficits. And if we think things don't change this year, we have predicted another budget deficit to come. And then that eats into our savings and then, and then just like in Malachi, it affects the way we can do ministry here. The things we want to do, things we feel like God has called us to do, we can't do. 
uh, maybe you've, you've noticed that our church is growing and that with that growth comes extra cost. With that growth, growth comes extra responsibility and we have to meet that cost. So I'd like to challenge some of us this morning or all of us this morning some of you may have never given money to church before at all, for whatever reason. And I know that some of you have had bad experiences with other churches uh, that makes too much of this subject. And they forcefully asked for it. And, and I, as a Christian, thinking that goes on in other churches, I feel like I have to apologise to you. What an awful thing to do. What an awful thing to go through. And our church will never push for money, we'll, ne- we'll never check what you're putting in the bag, we'll never, we'll never demand it. Um, because like you, we, we rely on faith more than money. And we know that God will meet our needs and our bank won't be devoured. But... Um, we, we won't pressure you to give money, but we will challenge you in the same way the Bible challenges all of us to give, how it's spelled out in the Bible. If you read some of what Paul did in, in Corinthians, he's saying about the giving of money, he's actually he's a lot more forceful than I'm being today, I tell you. He, he said, I'm, I'll be coming past your way shortly, make sure you take a collection and, and get as much as you can. I know some of you aren't giving that well, because uh, when I'm coming past, I'll pick up the cash and I'll be on the way paraphrasing but that's kind of what he said money for his his missionary his missionary work i'm glad the offering has already happened today because i don't want you to be motivated by your emotion to put more money in the bag i'd like you to go home and pray this through and and get a sense of your own conviction and let god challenge you not just me maybe there's some of us I know there's some of us that we do give to the church now. Are we able to ask God in prayer? Is there is there faith to ask Him? Should we, is there more we can do? Is there more we can give? Maybe you're like me. I I give most of my giving via direct debit. I do that so I don't forget. Um, so it's set up on a direct debit payment. Just comes straight to the church every month, and and that's done. But and I realised as we were talking about all this, I haven't changed that for six years. It hasn't increased. Other costs have increased, but I haven't, I haven't even considered it. Maybe you're like that. My, my giving is loosely based on a, a tithe of what I, I make, but it's not, it's not hard and fast. I don't think we're bound to that. We, we should be free to give whatever God drops in our heart in our conscience. Whatever category you fit in, could I ask you to commit this subject to God in the next few weeks? Allow him to challenge you rather than me challenge you? To test him out, to take him on in your giving? Test him. In my, the best way to explain to describe this is my own testimony. Like I have, I've been in those times in my life. Most of my Christian life, I've been trying. I've been a regular giver. I haven't been perfect at that, but I've been regular. There have been times in my life when God has challenged me directly to give towards something, like a project or something. I've gone away in prayer, 
been challenged with a number. This has happened a few times, not, not a whole lot of time, but a few times. There's one time I can think of when we were early mar- married and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of cash. I felt that God dropped this figure into my head. It was for a like, church building program. And uh, I thought, oh, that's a lot. And I went to tell Christopher about it and, and she says, you know, I think we should give this much. And it was the exact figure that had uh, just come to me. What a coincidence. So we gave that money. It was, it was scary. Two weeks later, three weeks later, we got a check from the ATO that we didn't see coming, our accountant didn't see coming, and it was more than double what we gave. See, I've seen God give in abundance. And he doesn't do that all the time. If, if he did, it would just be like gambling. You know, he just he gives me this big heap of cash. I, well, I should I take that, put it back in the offering, and I'll get tr- double again, and it's just it's like the share market. It doesn't work like that. Most of my giving experiences is I, I try and give regularly, I try and give faithfully, haven't been perfect all my life, but that's what I've done. And my testimony to that is I've always had enough. It's been like the, the devourer, devourer has been killed off, finished. I've always had enough. I've always I've worried many times about not having enough, but I've always had enough. Now, the church is not growing broke. Please don't Facebook that. Don't spread that message. It's not true. We have cash in the bank. We have our own savings. We don't, we don't, loan, we don't owe money to a bank. But uh, if this is simply talking about good management with what God has called us to do. In very practical terms, can I leave this with you? In very practical terms, if, if all of us coming to church on our regular numbers... If we're all to give an extra dollar every Sunday, we will meet our budget requirements. That's not too hard, is it? What if we gave five? And I know some of us can do more than that. I'll just leave that with you, okay? I'll swap hats back. I'm the preacher again. (laughs) Uh, I think plenty of elders in uh, our church have breathed a sigh of relief that I'm doing this and not them. Uh, the, the lot fell to me. God feels. Our actions, our words, our character all affect the way God feels. Are we using the whole file or just a portion? Jesus paid for the whole file. He would want, just, he would want all of us to be productive with it. Or is there a portion we hold back? We began this whole sermon by saying, God is saying, ever since the time of your forefathers, ever since then, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Do you remember Naaman, the leper, just that story? We have to go back another 300 years from Malachi back. It's the time of the kings of Israel. Naaman wasn't an Israelite. He was, he was a general from Syria next door and they hated each other. But Naaman had, had some problems. He had uh, contracted leprosy. And in those times, contracting leprosy is like getting the word that you've got cancer now. It was a terminal illness, just a matter of time. 
And it never ceases to amaze me. Working in his household, there is this young girl who was an Israelite slave. Whether she'd been bought or captured, we don't know. Here's this young slave and she says, Master, there's a, there's a guy back home, there's a prophet named Elisha. You go and see him, he'll fix you up. He'll, he'll cure you. It's a longer story than this, but he gets there, finds Elisha and Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He says, Look, just tell his tells his servant to go out and say, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, in the, in the river, the Jordan River that runs through Israel, right? And Naaman gets so ticked off with that. I thought he'd just come out, I thought he'd wave his hand over the spot and fix me and I'm done and I can go home. And he starts walking off in a huff and his, his servant says, you know, if, if God had asked you to do some great thing, you would have done that. Why not this little simple thing? Long story short, he goes, he goes, turns back and he actually, um, he does, he dips in the Jordan seven times and he's, he's cured. I remember reading this story many years ago uh, and it's one of those moments when God just drops something in the back of my head, you know, like a thought that's not mine. You had that? And I felt like God has said, it's, when I was reading this, it says, God said, I have had this trouble forever. What do you mean? What do you mean you've had this trouble forever? What? He says, forever I have invited, I have beckoned, I have called people to come to my river to be cleansed, to be washed, to be healed, to be made whole, but they have preferred their own. That's what Naaman said. He said, what's wrong with all the rivers in my homeland? They have preferred their own. Do we prefer our own, our own way? Do you remember Jesus saying the, the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and we feel warm and fuzzy and that's a great, great message and we put it on Christian calendars and it's nice. You know, in context, he's speaking to Pharisees who are trying to trip him up, trying to make him test what he believes in. Wouldn't it be a dumb way to live life in any relationship if I got up this morning and said, excuse me, my dear, would you please love me today? Would you please respect me today? I think that would be a nice thing to happen. (laughs) Good to hear. Good answer. I I read this lately and I think, is this a nice thing to say or is it an indictment? God has done much to deserve our love and our respect and our praise, hasn't he? Why did Jesus have to tell us? Why did he have to spell it out? This is what's going on in Malachi. God has to tell him, has to spell it out. I'm feeling disrespected here. What a sorry state of affairs it would be if, if we approached our spouses that way. Our love in reaction from our spouses is supposed to be a result of the things we say, things we do. Being handsome and wonderful has nothing to do with it. But 
Respect is earned, isn't it? Hasn't everything God's done for us, we've sang before, a miracle worker? Hasn't everything He's done for us, everything He's said, everything He's, every promise He's kept, His unchanging nature that Chris spoke about last week, isn't that enough to deserve our love and respect? What an indictment on us that Jesus had to spell it out for us. If you remember nothing else from, from today, remember that God feels. He feels. And much of what we do will determine how he feels. I know we always pray that God will meet our needs and meet our emotions and heal us and he does all that. He will do all that. No problem. But it goes the other way. It's a two-way relationship. Will we use all our file? Or will we be half-hearted? Let's pray. Lord, we stand here and we have to apologise to you for being half-hearted. We have to say we're sorry for using some of the file, for running out the clock, making it look like we're, we're busy, making it look like we're sincere. Lord, we understand that every action we do, thing we say, affects you. And if we've ever done anything to make you feel disrespected or dishonoured, we, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, as you lead us now in these next few days and weeks, would you, would you lead us, would you encourage us? Would you whisper in our ear what we are to do, what we are to say, how we are to give? In a difficult subject, Lord, we pray that you would just, you would be the challenger. And in all that, Lord, in all, in all that giving and all that, not just money, but our time and our, our efforts, our living sacrifices, I pray, Lord, that you would reward. You would bring these rewards and show this congregation just how much you love them. In Jesus' name. Amen.